0: And there's another day of redemption on that day when our bodies will be redeemed, and all the things that make us spiritually and physically and emotionally and mentally miserable, we will be redeemed out of that undesirable state. One other question that we need to ask is this. And this will help us to understand the propitiation that's made on our behalf, the redemption that Christ makes in His blood. And that question is this. What is the relationship between God's law and God? Again, that might be a question you've never really pondered. What is the relationship between God and God's law? Or in other words, which one is above the other? Is God above His law in the sense that God's law is just this system of right and wrong that God, that, that is right and wrong because God declares it to be? Take the ninth commandment for example. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall be truth tellers, right? Is it right to tell the truth because God said it's right? Is the rightness of that in the fact that God declared that right? Or in other words, God's above His law. God creates His law and then He gives us His law and He determines, okay, in this world that I'm going to create, I'm going to determine that it's right to tell the truth and wrong to lie. Is that the relationship between God and His law? Or is it the other way around? Is the law above God? In the sense that God's law, God's moral law, is this eternal right and wrong that just has always been and always will be. And God creates a world that is that is to be perfectly in accordance with that. And God Himself is always in accordance with this eternal right and wrong. And it's right to tell the truth just because it's right to tell the truth. And God tells us of this law because He's the perfect law giver. He understands this law and He perfectly tells us. Listen, this world in which we all live... In this world, it's right to tell the truth and it's wrong to lie, right? Is that the way it is? Is God's law above Him? So is God above His law and He creates His law and gives it to us? Or is His law universal, eternal truths that God kindly and lovingly tells us? The answer to that question determines whether or not Jesus can make propitiation for us. Because if the law is above God, if the law is just this eternal system of right and wrong and God just tells us what's right and wrong, then how is God going to propitiate for sinners who have offended the law that He Himself is subject to? What good would Jesus' death do if the law is above God? Likewise, if God is above His law and the law is just right because God says it's right, then God sent His Son to the cross unnecessarily. Because if it's right to tell the truth just because God said it's right, then that same God can forgive without the death of His Son. So if the law is above God, there's no propitiation that can be made. If God is above the law, there's no propitiation that's necessary. See why this is helpful to think through? So, the answer that the Scriptures require us to come to is that neither is God above His law or is the law above God. But... They are the same. God and His law are the same thing in the sense that the law that God gives us is who He is. It is His character. The law is a description of how God is. And so when the law tells us to be people that tell the truth, the reason is because God is a God that tells the truth. Therefore, the propitiation payment must be made to the one who's offended, who is God, not Satan. That is the only way salvation can occur. The one who has been offended by our sins is the one who has right wrath towards us and is also the one whose wrath is propitiated by the sacrifice of His Son. you follow? So, now we're really getting a hold, aren't we, on this whole concept of redemption. God, His character, also known as His law, has been offended because those who are made in His image have disregarded His law. And so because we're not just created in any old image, we're created in God's image. And as image bearers, we have lived contrary to the image which we bear. Then God is offended, rightly offended by our sin, putting us in the condition, in the state, that we need to be redeemed out of by means of a ransom payment and a propitiation payment. Both of them are the same thing. That both Jesus did both of those on the cross. He paid a ransom to redeem us out from our condition, and He paid a propitiation to pay or to appease, to remove God's rightful wrath towards us. So now, with all that in place, let's just spend the last few minutes of our time. And again, we're not going to conclude this whole thinking about redemption today, but let's just spend the last few minutes of our time just to see just this. Redeemed from what? So I'm on the back page of your notes now. Redeemed from what? When Jesus redeems us, what does He redeem us from? The Scriptures answer that with three things. Three things that we are redeemed from. One of those comes straight from our text today, and the other two come from elsewhere in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. But these three things, I believe, are helpful for us to understand that Christ redeems us from. And the first is the most common, the most uh, often talked about that Christ redeems us from. He redeems us from the guilt of our sin. Paul says so in that very passage. We have redemption in His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So trespasses, we'll get to that uh, probably next week, but trespasses speaks of the wrongness of being made in the image of God And not loving God or being made in the image of God and disobeying His Word. Okay. So we have this guilt from sin and that puts us in this condition of being in need of being redeemed out of that state or out of that condition. And that's the first thing or that's one thing that Jesus redeems us from, from the guilt of our trespasses. Uh, Take a look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15. Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. We can't receive our promised eternal inheritance until we're redeemed from the guilt that we're in now. Or outside of Christ, I should say. Outside of Christ, we're in this guilt that we cannot receive our eternal inheritance. We have been in the mind of God adopted We are in the mind of God in union with His Son. In the mind of God, we are His people. But in reality, in life, we can't be His people. We can't be united with Him. We can't receive our eternal inheritance until, in time, Jesus redeems us from that state by His ransom and by His propitiation so that we may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So that's the first thing that we're redeemed from. The second thing, and that's from past guilt of past sins, the second thing is we are redeemed from our present life of bondage to sin or our ongoing life of sinful bondage to sin. Okay. So we see this in places like uh, later on in chapter 2, It's in your notes, or if you want to just look down to chapter 2 from verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, right? That's our condition. Even though in the mind of God we are His people from before the foundation of the world, nevertheless, in this life, we are dead in our trespasses and sins until we are redeemed by Jesus' ransom. So you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, Following the course of this world. The idea there is that there's a course of this world and we can't get off it. It's like the, uh, you ever, when you're a kid, you know, you go to the playground and there's that, that, uh, instrument of torture from Satan or that, that, that they spin around, right? And what always happens, the kid gets on there and they get it going by 400 miles an hour, right? You can't get off. And you're on there and you, and you, you know that your brain is just being, leaking out of your ears you know but you can't get off and that's like what Paul's saying here there's a course of this world and you can't get off it because we were dead in our trespasses and sins following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience you know that word at work right there is the exact same word found in Philippians 12 verse th- or Philippians 2 verse 12 and 13 work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who, works in you to both will and work for His good pleasure. Same exact words, so the same concept. The sons of disobedience have at work in them the prince of the power of this air that's doing within them the polar opposite of what the Spirit of God is doing within us. The Spirit of God, Philippians 2.13, is at work in us causing us to will and to work for His good pleasure. Meanwhile, the spirit of the, the age, the spirit of the prince of the power of this air, is at work in the hearts of the sons of disobedience, causing them to do the opposite. Now, is at work with them in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Or 2 Timothy 2 verse 25 and 26, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You just get the image there of a slave, of a a, uh, a prisoner of war that's captured and forced to be a slave against their will. So... Christ redeems us from the past guilt of our sins. He also redeems us from this ongoing life of being subject to the sins, like Paul says in Romans 7, the things I don't want to do, I I find myself doing them. So He frees us. He, he, He pays a payment to release us from that condition of being bound in a life of doing what is wrong, what, what is not pleasing to God, to living in those certain ways. So we're freed from the guilt. We're freed from the necessity of being uh, slaves to our own sin. But then the third thing that Christ redeems us from is the future, our future redemption from all that will make us physically or spiritually miserable. So this is probably the least thought about aspect of our redemption. Christ redeems us from our past guilt He redeems us from our ongoing bondage to sin, but He also redeems us from a, from everything that makes us spiritually and physically miserable. Take a look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. We talked about that. Adoption as sons is tantamount to glorification. We, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Or you see in Ephesians 4.30, later on in the letter, Paul's going to mention it as well. The redemption of our bodies. So there is a day of redemption. The day of redemption was the cross. The day of redemption was the day in which you received conversion. And there's another day of redemption on that day, when our bodies will be redeemed. And all the things that make us spiritually and physically and emotionally and mentally miserable, we will be redeemed out of that undesirable state. And all of the cancer and the joint pain and the arthritis and the headaches and the common colds and the depressions and uh, the anxieties and the fears and the worries all of those things that make us miserable, the, the, the inability to forgive our neighbor, the inability to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the inability to love our neighbor as ourself, the inability to even focus on God for more than four, five, six minutes, all those things will be removed in our final redemption in what Scripture calls the day of redemption. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that we have a Redeemer? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just come and purchase our freedom from guilt and then say, I'll see you in heaven. But instead, He frees us, not only from the guilt of our trespasses, but He then frees us from the inability to keep on trespassing. And then the day is coming, He promises, in which He will free us from all the consequences of our past trespasses. And we will be glorified We will be fully adopted. We will then experience the finality of our salvation when every tear is wiped away, every pain is gone. Everything that stands between us and the perfect happiness of the character of God is then removed and we enjoy eternal happiness in the presence of God. Aren't you glad that we've got a Redeemer?